got your copy of God's Word, and I hope that you do. I want to invite you to open up with me to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. In Exodus, we've seen God save His people and sustain them in the wilderness. We've seen them enter a covenant uh, with God, agreeing to allow Him to be their King and Lord. And then we've seen that their impatience led them to idolatry, to making a golden calf to worship in place of God. We've seen that Moses, their mediator, begged God to show them mercy, stopped the sinful worship of the golden calf, even last week offering himself to the Lord as a sacrifice to turn away God's holy judgment against Israel's sin. God has relented from totally destroying Israel and giving them what they deserve for their sin, but He still told Moses at the end of our text last week that they would be held accountable. That's where we pick up this morning, Exodus chapter 33. Let's read together verses 1 through 6. The Lord said to Moses, Depart! Go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey." But I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. And no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You're a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. The first truth that we see in our passage this morning is that God's blessing... Without God is disastrous. Having the God of the universe give you blessings without being with you and without giving him, you Himself is disastrous. The Lord in verses 1 through 3 tells Moses to lead Israel to the promised land of Canaan. And He says that He will send an angel But he won't go because it's dangerous for him to be near this sinful, rebellious, stiff-necked people who refuse to submit to the Lord. If God goes with them, they will be consumed. They will be quickly destroyed, not because God has an anger issue. Not because God has a rage within Him that He cannot control, but instead because God is perfect. And in His perfect nature, it requires that He be holy and just and righteous and do what is right. If God does not stand against evil and hold it accountable, then He would be a moral coward and He would be unrighteous Himself. 
For God's holy presence to go with sinful Israel would be like a bunch of kids with lighters in their hands transporting a trailer full of dynamite across town. It's not going to end well. God's holy presence can't go with them because of these things. In verses 4-6, through Israel hears from Moses God's decree that He won't go. And they begin to mourn. They begin to take off their jewelry. This is an expression of repentance, of sorrow, of brokenness. After this rebellion has been put down, after the golden calf has been destroyed, after the people have sobered up from their wild partying, they can finally think straight and see the seriousness of the sin they committed against God and its awful consequences. God says to them, listen, He says, I will win you victory. I will get you still to the promised land of blessing, but I'm not going with you. Now consider this with me. Is that not exactly what many today want? Is what God offers Israel here not exactly what many of us even are prone to want today? A God who will give us our needs. A God who will meet our desires. A God who will bless us with what we want, but will keep His distance and stay out of our business. Are we not prone today? And is our culture not prone to want a Santa Claus God who will give gifts to us once a year but be absent the rest of the year? God offers Israel land and victory over their enemies. He promises them blessing but not Himself. And Israel, as imperfect and sinful as they are, recognize that this is disastrous and begin to mourn. When we read this, the question we should ask is, would I mourn? Would I, would we as a church mourn at the prospect of God blessing us, giving us victory, meeting our needs, defeating our enemies, but not being with us? We need to be careful how we answer that question. Because our answer reveals if we love God or if we're just using God to get the blessings that we're really after. Our answer will reveal if we truly treasure and our joy is God or if it's something else. It will reveal if we are wise and are delighting in the Lord or instead if we are foolishly setting our hope and joy on lesser joys. Consider these quotes that I came across this week. Pastor Randy Alcorn says, Heaven without God is like a honeymoon without a groom. Heaven without God is like a palace without a king. Or consider what pastor and Puritan Samuel Rutherford said hundreds of years ago, praying to the Lord, O Lord, if I could be in heaven without Thee, it would be as hell. If I could be in hell but have Thee still, it would be heaven to me, for Thou art all the heaven that I want. 
These pastors and Puritans understand what Israel understands in part in Exodus 33, that to have the blessing of God without the presence of God is disastrous. But sadly, those sentiments do not make sense to many today who only want God to give them what they want who only want God to bless all their efforts, to make them happy instead of holy. These sentiments about not wanting heaven without God, not wanting blessing without the presence of God, so often seem foreign to so many today. But friends, we must not be deceived. God is the treasure. God is the prize. God is The goal, God is the fountain of delights. In God's presence is the fullness of joy. Everything else is lesser. Everything else is inferior. Everything. Family is inferior, is less than God. Food, land, money, jobs, hobbies, success, vacations, possessions, traditions, feelings, relationships, nostalgia. All those things are sweet gifts that the Lord allows us to enjoy. But they are lousy as gods for us to worship and find joy in. So often... We only want God to give us blessings and give us gifts and give us things when God is saying, it's not just about what I can give you. I am the gift. I am the treasure. I am the prize. God's blessing without God's presence is disastrous. So Israel mourns. The land and the victory that He promises is nice, but God is the true inheritance. God is the treasure. God is the promise. Oh, that we would agree with that today. It's hard for us to wrap our heads around that idea. But but that is why Israel mourns. God is the prize. Keep going in the text with me. Read verses 7 through 17. It says, Now Moses used to take up the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you've said, I know you by name. 
and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, Lord, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And the Lord said to Moses, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Verse 15, And Moses said to the Lord, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. We've already seen in our text that having God's blessing without having God's presence is disastrous. But this next section of verses remind us that mercy can be shown only through a mediator. Mercy can only be shown through a mediator. God cannot go near sinful Israel, but He's willing to draw near to Moses. And in verses 7 through 11, we find out how through a tent that is set up outside of the camp of the people. Israel's only hope for the Lord of all to dwell close to them. Their only hope for Him to go with them is Moses' relationship with the Lord. And in verses 12 through 23, we see Moses mediating for the people. Moses asked God... Who are you going to send with me when I lead the people to the land? So far, the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh has been leading them. But in verse 2 of chapter 33, the Lord said, An angel will go. The angel of the Lord is somehow an extension of the Lord Himself, but an angel is not. And Moses spots the difference. So Moses asks, which of them will lead? And then he adds, Lord, you've said that you know me by name. Lord, you've said that I found your favor. Lord, if I have your favor, show me your ways. Moses is pleading with the Lord and he's saying, God, it only seems right that if I truly am known and favored and if I truly want to know your ways, it only seems right that you would go with me instead of sending me out on this task alone. He's making a case for why the Lord should go with him. But as a good mediator, he adds, consider too that Israel is your people. It's not just that I am your people. Israel is your people. The Lord hears what Moses is asking. He hears that he's asking him to go with him, Moses, the leader, but also with Israel. And notice how he responds. He says, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. He's talking to Moses. He's saying, okay, Moses, you've convinced me to go with you and guide you and give you rest. He's emphasizing he'll keep his promise to who? To Moses. But Moses says in verse 15, he's just heard the Lord say, yeah, I'm going with you. I'm going to give you rest. Moses says, if you won't go with me, don't bring us out of here. He 
and Israel are a package deal. And they don't want to leave Sinai. They don't want to leave Mount Horeb without the Lord. So Moses says, I'm not leaving without Israel. Which seems like a bold, risky type of statement to make to the all-powerful, omnipotent Lord of the universe. But notice Moses' reasoning in verse 16. The reason that he says, God, I can't leave without the people. He says, how will it be known that I and your people have found your favor if you don't go with us. God, your presence alone is what makes us unique. Your presence with us is what makes us distinct and different from all the nations. There is nothing about us, God, that is special. There are not more of us than any other nation. We are not wealthier, wealthier or more powerful than any other nation. You alone are what separates us from the nations. If you you are not with us, then there's nothing to notice about us. Now, why is that a big deal? Because God has called Israel to be noticed by the nations. God told Israel when He entered this covenant with them back in Exodus 19, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You are to be a light to the nations around you so that the nations will see you and will see that I am with you and will see you following my holy law and will see you being blessed and the nations will be drawn to Israel as a result and will surrender their lives to the Lord as king so that God's glory will cover all the earth as all the people of the nations bow the knee to the one true Lord. The goal of the Israel project is the joyful submission of the nations to the Lord God for His glory forever and ever. But those nations will not be drawn to Israel if God is not with them. So Moses is making the case that God should relent of His wrath and show mercy and grace to sinful Israel and go with them. Why? Not because they deserve it. Not because they deserve a second chance. Not because they've earned it. But instead, he's appealing to the reputation and glory and purpose and goal and mission of God. His glory, the highest good in all the universe. And the Lord hears Moses pleading and says, I'll go with you and I'll go with Israel. Israel has hope that God will go with them only because they have a mediator who is pleading their case before the Lord. Only because they have a mediator who loves them and who has a God-centered, God-glorifying focus. And that's not just true for Old Testament Israel. It's true for us today because we have a mediator as well. 
We have a great high priest who sits at the right hand of the Father, praying and interceding for His people whom He loves and died for. Our Savior Jesus was known by name. Our Savior Jesus had God's favor. Our, true, our Savior Jesus truly knew and lived out God's ways and that resurrected Savior, that crucified and resurrected Savior is seated at the right hand of God, reminding God constantly that our sin has been paid for. Our sin has been defeated. Our death has been conquered in the empty tomb on Easter Sunday. And because of Jesus, our great mediator's life, death, and resurrection, we as rebellious, sinful, covenant breaking people are known by name and possess God's favor just like Jesus does. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus's blood and righteousness. But so often we are prone to proudly try to earn God's favor. So often we push back at the idea of having to depend on anyone, even God. So often we want to do it ourselves, pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps, depend only on us and earn a righteousness before God. But friends, without our mediator Jesus, we are lost and hopeless. Without our mediator Jesus, God's presence is a place of fear, not a place of joy. Without our mediator Jesus, we owe a debt we cannot repay and we are in bondage to a sin that we do not have the power to break. But praise God that mercy is shown to us through a mediator, Jesus Christ, the greater Moses, the greater high priest. We see in our text that having God's blessing without having God's presence is disastrous. And we see that mercy can only be shown to sinners through a mediator. But there's one more truth I want to point your attention to, and it's found in verses 18 through 23. Read these verses with me. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, There is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand, take away my hand and you shall see my back. But my face you shall not see. Moses has been pleading with God to go with him and Israel to the promised land. He's using 
all the ammunition he has to convince God that he should go. And he finally convinces him. He appeals to God's glory. And God says, okay, Moses, I'm going to go with you. And I'm going to go with Israel. And I'm going to keep my promises. And I'm going to get the glory. And notice what Moses does. You might have experienced this if you're a parent. Have you ever had a kid who's asked you for something again and again and again and again and you think that they're going they, they think they're going to wear you down and eventually they do and you say no 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 and eventually they wear you down and you say yes and as soon as you say yes they then ask for something else this is a regular occurrence in my life That's exactly what Moses is doing. Moses is pleading with God to go with Israel. And finally God relents. And his very next line in the text is, I've got one more request, Lord, a personal one. Show me your glory. Moses thinks... That while he's got God in a generous mood, he can go ahead and ask for this one more personal request. Show me your glory. Moses has spoken with God in the burning bush. Moses has seen the power of God in the plagues of judgment on Pharaoh and Egypt. He's seen God's delivering power through the Passover and the Red Sea. He's seen God's sustaining power in the wilderness through the manna and the water from the rock and the the, the quails that he sent in. He has heard the voice of God giving the Ten Commandments. He has went up on the mountain of God and gotten the law of God. He has seen more of God and heard more of God than anyone else in human history up to this point. And yet, there is a holy discontentment in Moses because he wants more of God. He wants more. That's the third and last truth this morning. There is a kind of holy discontentment. We usually think of discontentment, we think of it in negative terms because usually when we're discontent, it's for negative reasons. We're discontent with our circumstances, with whatever situation we're facing, with our trials that we're going through or suffering that's going on or someone in the way that they're treating us. We're discontent. And Paul tells us in Philippians that because his hope and joy is found in Jesus Christ, he's learned to be content in all circumstances. He can be brought high or brought low. He can be made rich or made poor. But his hope and joy and peace is not found in circumstances, but in God. So he can be content in all things. So Christian maturity is about being content. But there is a discontentment that believers should have. And Moses is modeling it for us here. Moses is discontent content with how much of God he knows. He wants to know more of God. He wants to experience more of God. And that is a discontentment that God is pleased with. Friends, that's the kind of discontentment we should have. Not a discontentment with circumstances or with God's provision, but a discontentment with how much of God we know because we want more of God because our appetite is whetted for the glory of God and we want to know Him as He truly is. 
Moses has experienced more of God than anyone in history to this point, but he knows that there's more to experience, and he cries out, Lord, show me your glory. Lord, show me your glory. Man, I wish that that's what I cried out every Sunday morning when I came to church or to Sunday school. Lord, show me your glory. I wish every morning when I woke up and I was drinking my coffee and getting ready for the day that that was the cry of my heart. Lord, show me your glory. But so often we're not thinking about knowing more of God because we're so focused on horizontal things, responsibilities in our life, tasks, kids, jobs, all these things that are not bad things, but we can get... We can lose our focus on the glory of God and longing to know Him more because of all these peripheral, horizontal, lesser things. Moses cries out, show me your glory. And God says, if I show you my full glory, it'll be the last thing you ever do, Moses. He says, you can't see my face, Moses, or you'll die. Now remember, God doesn't have a face. God's a spirit. He doesn't have a body until God the Son chooses in the future to take on flesh and add a human nature to His divine nature. But God does not have a body. He is a spirit, infinite and eternal. And yet God uses metaphorical language to speak to us, His creatures, in a way that we understand. So when He says, you can't see my face or you'll die, what He's saying is, sinful can, mankind cannot see me. They cannot see the fullness of my majesty and power or they will be overwhelmed and die. But He says, Moses, because you found favor because I know you by name, because I've called you for this task, I'm going to give you just a glimpse. I'm going to give you just a taste. God says, I'm going to have my goodness pass before you and proclaim my name. Side note, notice that God says that when He goes by, He calls Himself His goodness, right? Uh, So if you're ever someone who has said, my gift to you for Christmas is me, right? Uh, Or you have a high estimation of yourself, you're committing idolatry. God isn't because He truly is good and righteous. He says, I will make my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim my name. But for me to get that close to you, I've got to hide you. I've got to cover you. I've got to protect you. Moses, I will put you in the cleft of a rock and then I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. And then after I've passed by, I'll briefly remove my hand so that you can see my back. That's as much of seeing me as you can handle Moses. Notice a few things about what God tells Moses in our passage. God says that He'll let Moses see a glimpse of Him, but God is careful to point out in verse 19 that He is God and He decides who to show mercy and grace to. He points out, I am God, I decide who I will show mercy and grace to. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. No man or woman can demand the grace of God because all men and women deserve nothing but the judgment of God. But notice also that God is going to give Moses a glimpse of himself. But he will do that. And as he does that, he says, I'm going to proclaim my name before you. 
God's going to pass by and He's going to speak to Moses and describe Himself to Moses. This is why. Because the best way to see God is by listening, not seeing. The best way all throughout the Bible to see God is by listening, not seeing. Because God's Word about Himself is a fuller revelation of who He is than anything that our eyes could ever see. But notice lastly, the only way for God and His glory to be so close to Moses is for the same God who will be passing by to protect Him and hide Him and cover Him. Pause and consider how amazing it is that the same transcendent, unapproachable, holy God who we cannot draw near to in our sin is willing to draw near to us in tender, compassionate mercy and protective grace. Moses can glimpse God's glory because as God passes by, he will be protected by the mighty hand of God. Moses will be protected by God's care and grace, just like the people of Israel had been protected from God passing over them in Egypt by the shed blood of the Passover lamb. And Moses is protected from God, by God, just like believers today who do not need to fear the presence of God because we have been covered by the shed blood of our Savior, Jesus. Friends, Jesus, for us, is the cleft in the rock that hides us from God's judgment. Jesus' nail-scarred hands cover us from the wrath of God that we've deserved and earned for our sin. Jesus' finished work is how God shows mercy and grace to His people. Jesus' love for us means that we need not keep our distance from seeing and savoring God anymore. The tabernacle veil that separates God from the people has been torn. The tent of meeting outside the camp where Moses met with God because he couldn't be around sinful Israel, that tent of meeting is no longer needed. We need not hide in the cleft of a rock from God because Jesus, our Savior, and our righteousness has granted us full and final access to God. Jesus is the full and final blessing of God to us and His presence will never never leave His people. Jesus is the mediator far greater than Moses was for Israel. And while we cannot see God who is a spirit face to face, God the Son, the one whom we call Jesus the Christ, has taken on flesh and has a face. And that face of Jesus had eyes that wept at the brokenness of sin that he saw. That Jesus and his face had ears that heard the cries of the groaning and the mourning. 
And that Jesus had a mouth that spoke the very words of God, but that also cried out in anguish, it is finished as He accomplished salvation for us. As we cry out today with Moses, show me your glory. We can have confidence as believers that we will see God's glory now in the Word of God that displays Jesus' person and work. But also, as we cry out, show me your glory today, we can have confidence that one day we will see God's glory in the resurrected, glorified face of our Savior, Jesus. Friends, that is the climax. That is the ultimate purpose. That is why we're here. That is why we sing. That is why we worship. That is why we exist. That's what it's all about. That's what gives us hope to press on in trying days. And that future day where we will see God's glory is part of of what the Lord's Supper that we now take is about. As our deacons who are going to serve come forward, I want to remind you that the Lord's Supper is a meal for believers. It's for those who've repented of their sins, who've believed in Jesus' finished work, who've surrendered their life to the Lord, who've identified with Him publicly. And we usually talk about the Lord's Supper as a meal of remembrance. And that is what it is. We remember Jesus' broken body and His shed blood. But it's not just a meal of remembrance. It's also a meal of anticipation. A meal of looking forward to the day that we will be seated at the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we will see Jesus face to face and we will dwell with God in a true rest and joy that never ends. If you're a believer here this morning, then I invite you as we pass these symbols in just a moment to reflect on Jesus' work for you. Repent of any known sin in your life and prepare your hearts. But if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord, in this saving way, you haven't publicly identified yourself with Him, then I urge you, let the plate pass, but don't just sit there. As the music plays and as everyone reflects on the Lord and what He's done, take this time to reflect on what you've heard. To reflect on who Jesus is and what He's accomplished. Consider during this time, what is it that keeps you from repenting and believing and surrendering to King Jesus. If that's you this morning, I'd love to speak with you after our service. Friends, we need not experience the disaster of not having the Lord with us because of our mediator, Jesus. And we can have confidence we'll dwell at peace with Him one day. Let us remember what He's done in the past, and let us anticipate that future day of glory as we reflect and prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper.